Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Welcome to On The Rock, God's unchanging word for changing times with Dr. Camille Majdali, Director of Teach All Nations Melbourne, Australia. Dr. Camille lived and studied in the Middle East, served as a principal of a leading Bible college and now travels the world teaching God's word. He has an extraordinary knowledge of the Bible and a dynamic ability to make God's truth come alive in a real, practical way. This episode of On The Rock will give you keys to survive and succeed in the days ahead by hearing and doing the words of Jesus. The Bible is clear. There is no place for rebellion. And in today's program, we're going to see that the consequences of rebelling are just too great. Our series is entitled The Coming King, Understanding the Book of Zechariah a verse-by-verse audio commentary, part of our larger Understanding the Bible series. In this book of Zechariah, which we're now in the home stretch, a great prophetic book which tells us about the coming of the Lord, first time and second time. It also tells us about the kingdom that will have no end. We're already in the final chapter. We've already had the Lord return. He has won the Armageddon campaign, his feet stand on the Mount of Olives, and already one of the changes that occurred is topographical. The Mount of Olives splits, and it goes in two different directions. Now we're going to see something else. God is going to do the cleaning up operation. Friends, don't view this with any kind of concern or anxiety. It's something we all want. It's something we all need, or at least we want the consequences of God's cleaning up. When God returns in the person of Jesus Christ, the thing that is interesting, it says in Psalm 2, verse 9, he shall rule with a rod of iron. I know that doesn't go well with our democratic sensibilities where we have feel-good politicians that talk smoothly, dress nicely, and tell us what we want to hear. But have you ever noticed that that kind of milieu doesn't seem to get a whole lot done? To get something done, you have to be focused, you have to be single-minded, you have to be energetic, and you have to remove opposition that's trying to impede progress towards that desired goal. Well, that's exactly what the Lord does. He's focused. He's energetic. He will not brook opposition anymore. I mean, he put up with a lot of it, especially in his earthly ministry, and he put up with a lot of it on his second coming. He had whole armies coming after him, only to be roundly defeated. But you see, in order for us to have this wonderful new world, this new heaven and earth, where righteousness finds its true home, God has to do some cleaning up. And when he does, there'll be some amazing consequences. Of course, one of the great ones here, and we are looking at, in this particular segment, at Zechariah chapter 14, verses 9 to 15. We learn already that the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. And that is a great thing. But I want to also point out a most remarkable promise Once God has come, established his kingdom, and snuffed out all last vestiges of resistance and rebellion, Zechariah 14.11, and men shall dwell in it, speaking of horse of Jerusalem, and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. Now, 
What did we learn about Jerusalem earlier in this chapter? When it's invaded by the nations of the world, prior to Jesus' second coming, the city is taken, houses are rifled, the women are raped, half the city goes into captivity, the other half somehow remain. This is just the latest of dozens and dozens of invasions of the holy city over its 4,000-year-old history. And even though it's meant to be the city of peace, it is a city that in this world has not known peace. Why do these armies go fighting against Jerusalem? It's not because of the resources. It's not because of the location. It's not because it has tons of money, although it did have some when the temple stood. It's because it's the city of the great king. Principalities and powers know that, and they want to, if they could, knock it off course. But what we'll see, when God is king over all the earth, the city of peace will finally have peace at last. Now let's look at the entire passage, Zechariah 14, 9 to 15. Our lesson will be called Bad News for Rebels. Again, that's Zechariah 14, 9 to 15. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. All the land shall be turned as a plain from Geba to Ramon south of Jerusalem. And it shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate unto the corner gate and from the tower of Hananiel unto the king's winepresses, and men shall dwell in it. And there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. And it shall come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the Lord shall be among them, and they shall lay hold every one on the hand of his neighbor, and his hand shall rise up against the hand of his neighbor, and Judah also shall fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the heathen round about shall be gathered together, gold and silver and apparel, in great abundance. And so shall be the plague of the horse, of the mule, of the camel, of the ass, and of all the beasts that shall be in these tents as this plague. This is Zechariah 14, verses 9 to 15. Now, let's start off with a verse not in Zechariah, but with Isaiah. Isaiah 24, 23. And Isaiah 24:23 is pretty much saying what we've just read here, but in one verse. And it reads, The moon shall be confounded and the sun ashamed when the Lord of hosts shall reign in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before his ancients gloriously. Let me read that again. Then the moon shall be confounded and the sun ashamed when the Lord of hosts shall reign in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before his ancients gloriously. That's again Isaiah chapter 24 and verse 23. Our lesson is entitled Bad News for Rebels, but really it can also be called Good News for the Righteous. Because as we see, it God himself is going to reign 
over all the earth. And where is he going to reign from? Apparently, he's going to reign from Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before his ancients gloriously. Remember that Mount Zion, if you ever visit the holy city, is a distinct place just south of the walls of the old city. It's not that big. In fact, it probably is more like a hill than a mountain, but there it stands, and it is called more than once the dwelling place of God. Think of it like the royal headquarters of Jerusalem, just as Westminster is the royal headquarters in London. So Zion is in Jerusalem. But note, it is God himself that's doing the reigning. And that's why the term Zion is both very biblical, but it can also be, in a political context, very polarizing. Because for some, it it sounds like the political ideology called Zionism. And yes, it is. And Zionism is an ideology. They call it a national liberation movement, bringing the Jewish people back to the ancient homeland. This, of course, can be very controversial, but even in Scripture, it talks about the controversy of Zion. But here, forget the controversy. We're talking about God coming back and reigning. As the captain of the Lord of hosts told Joshua in chapter 5, I'm not here to take sides between you and the Canaanites, the people of Jericho, the children of Israel. I've actually come to take over. God is going to be king over all the earth, and that includes Jew and Gentile alike. That is wonderful. But as we see, there will be, because of God being king over all the earth, expect some of the following. There'll be changes in topography in the land itself. It starts with, the land shall be turned to a plain. Presumably, it is currently mountainous. Geba may be just north of Jerusalem, and Ramon is to the south. Again, this implies topographical changes to the earth when the Lord comes. Because, after all, when those feet of the Lord stand on the Mount of Olives, we're not talking about anybody's feet. We're talking about God's feet. No wonder the mountain will move because of the great shaking. It implies that this plain shall be lifted up like a plateau. Jerusalem, rather than being just mountainous, it appears, if we're reading this correctly, will be a plateau. And it'll be inhabited from Benjamin's gate to the first gate to the corner gate and from the tower of Hananiel to the king's winepress. Now, both in Isaiah chapter 2 and Micah chapter 4, which are identical passages, they say that in the last days, the Lord's house will be at the top of the mountains. Some have implied, but I wouldn't run too far on this one, that that means Jerusalem will be lifted up higher than Everest, or Jerusalem will be raised up even as a plateau and Everest will be lowered. I don't know. All I know is that it will be at the top of the mountains. And of course, that's very interesting to say the least. Then verse 11, which I've spoken about earlier, speaking that there will be no more utter destruction. People will dwell in Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be safely inhabited. Goodbye to those numerous invasions that have happened again and again and again in the city's history. I mean, it's very fascinating, but of course, it's very traumatic. And as I have said earlier, and I'll say it again, the motivation for the conquest of Jerusalem 
has nothing to do with natural resources, location, or wealth and spoil. It has to do with theology. It has to do with spiritual things. If it's the city of the great king, but you don't want that king to come back as the protagonist in Psalm 2, then what you're going to do, try to destroy the city the king wants to come to so he has no capital, he has no throne. Well, the point is, this king has a capital, has a throne, and once he's there, the city will no longer face destruction. It will be safely inhabited. Of interest, if you read the book of Revelation, chapter 20, there is, of course, an would-be invasion of the beloved city by Satan after he's released from the bottomless pit, and he stirs up rebellion and tries to get the rebels to come and attack the holy city before he can take action. The fire of God falls down and engulfs the rebels, and then Satan himself is cast into the lake of fire. That's at the very end of the millennium before the eternal state begins. That's Revelation 20. The eternal state's Revelation chapter 21, when the new heaven and the new earth come and the new Jerusalem descends. Now we have verse 12. This is what happens to the rebels, those that fought against Jerusalem. It's called a plague punishment. The punishment for fighting against Jerusalem is this plague. It's a horrific plague. I don't know what the plague exactly is, but what the text tells us is what the plague does. The flesh, the eyes, the tongue will consume away in their respective locations. This is part of the injury that occurs to anyone that meddles with Jerusalem, the burdensome stone, as it tells us in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 3. We might look a little bit more at that in a moment. In addition, not only is there a plague that consumes the eyes and consumes the tongues and consumes the body, but there is a tumult as well. Verse 13 This will come from God himself. It's a spirit of panic that will strike the rebels. They will grab the hand of their neighbor. They will attack one another. I think all of us have had our experience with panic. May they be very, very limited, brief, and hopefully out of existence. It's a horrible thing to be in panic. It's a horrible thing to be in despair. It's horrible to lose all hope. But you see, The danger is this. All this is horrible, but it's merely the consequences of not following the Lord God. Because you see, when you follow the Lord, you actually have a future. You have hope and a future that nobody can take from you. But if you reject God, reject his goodness, reject his son, Jesus Christ, reject the wonderful, glorious, priceless, powerful gospel of eternal salvation, that Christ died on the cross for our sins, was buried, rose again on the third day. This is how we are made right with God. If we reject this gospel, then what kind of future do we have? And the answer is, we have no future. We have a short-term future. But what comes at the end of it is what we're describing here. A spirit of panic, of tumult, of conflict, and so on. God doesn't want that for anyone. Verse 14 of chapter 14, Judah shall also fight at Jerusalem. The wealth of the nearby heathen will be gathered together in great abundance, gold, silver, and apparel. It's pretty much like the spoils 
of war. So for the righteous, there's enrichment, and for the rebels, there is divine retribution. And can we just remember, God doesn't have, and I say this reverently, hissy fits, temper tantrums, dummy spitting. That's what immature people do. That's not how God works. He is amazingly, legendarily patient. And this that is read here was a long time coming. Even the animals will be stricken. There will be plague of the horse, mule, camel, donkey, and of all the beasts in the tents and all the beasts in their tents. So back to this thing of Jerusalem and the burdensome stone. The reason Jerusalem is the burdensome stone is because it's the foundation of, shall we say, the the true New World Order. Actually, Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. We are built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, but Jerusalem itself is the stone that, shall we put it, the new world order is built. And if you try to meddle with God's plan anymore, it brings terrible, terrible retribution. It has been said, although I, I can't rattle off the statistics, they're not in front of me, but nations throughout history that have meddled with Jerusalem, and particularly in these last days, seem to have all kinds of terrible things happen to them. Maybe it's coincidence. Maybe it's the hand of the Lord. But all I can tell you is this. It is madness to rebel against God. Wisdom is to listen to his words so that you can get off that place of the sinking sand and build your lives on the rock. Now, remember, our lesson is entitled, Bad News for Rebels, Good News for the Righteous. Our lesson for life is rebelling against God invites consequences and curses that are simply too great. Remember to go to our homepage, tan.org.au to sign up for the free monthly Issachar teaching e-letter, helping you to become future ready with articles from the Bible, victorious living, and current events in the light of God's word. You can also visit us at our Facebook page, Teach All Nations, Education, and thank you for liking our page. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are just in all your ways and holy in all your works. We need your justice to cleanse our world and to make it ready for the kingdom that shall have no end. We also need your justice now so that those that are righteous will be vindicated, so those that are unrighteous will be held to account. All this is part of the scales of divine justice that bring blessing to all who believe. For this we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Today's On The Rock was brought to you by Teach All Nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, to download podcasts, view our online store, attend special events, sign up for our teaching newsletter, make a donation to support this ministry, or to invite Dr. Camille to speak, log on to www.tan.org.au or write to us at Post Office Box 493, Mount Waverley 3149. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.